Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Farm living is the life for me. Another beautiful Arizona Saturday morning to you all. It is the fourth Saturday of the month here, December 24th, one day before Christmas. And, you know, I know we've got a lot of other things on our mind right now, this whole week, the season, the holidays, the gifts, the uh, events for the evening. But we're still here at Rosie on the House, your Saturday morning tradition since 1988. And being the fourth Saturday of the month, we are talking urban farming with farmer greg joining us via zoom and today we're talking planting fruit trees good morning farmer greg hello hello how are we doing today very well thank you doing great here it's been dang cold this week it got down to like six degrees <laughs> i have never been i have never been in six degrees before so so how'd wow. you how'd you handle it yeah you, you know i just stay inside and put six layers on and drink hot cocoa how do your plants handle it? <laughs> no. A different variety of plants now, I'm sure. Different variety of plants. I brought some citrus trees with me, um, and I've been ho- I've been holding them in a temporary greenhouse. They got moved indoors this week because they were struggling in, with the 20, you know, 25 to 30 degree temps. I figure, I figured, you know, six degree temps would do them in, and even in the greenhouse. Has uh, the North Pole got your updated address there? Yeah, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. They know where to find you tonight. I'll make you right. feel good. This week in the Grand Canyon for two nights, it was minus two. So you're actually winning oh. there. Cold down Cold in that canyon. Whole different game when we start de- dealing with little temperatures like that. Well, today we're talking about planting fruit trees, and we've got uh, your fruit tree program coming up soon. So we want to make sure that. If we are going to be planting something, we are we're ready for it because yeah, you know it's better to have everything prepped and ready so that when you get them home, you'll straighten to the ground. Yeah, how many times have you bought a plant or a tree and it never got planted? <laughs> I, I threw, have. I threw two away last week that uh, the frost had gotten to them. They were still yeah. in their five-gallon planters. And the funny thing was they were so bad, uh, Greg, I, I couldn't tell you what the plants were even worth. <laughs> they were, yeah. I think they might have been lantana. <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah. So, yes, pre-prepping is amazing. The other thing is what we're about ready to talk about, don't, if you're doing anything in your landscape, whether you're planting uh, annuals or perennials uh, or desert trees, what we're about ready to talk about is pertinent to what you're doing. Your trees, your plants will love you if you treat them this way. Teach me. (laughs) Okay. So first of all, we have to jump in and what do we avoid? There's uh, several different places you want to avoid planting. And the good news is if you have this, then we have the solutions. You'll just listen through farther as we talk. Do not plant directly into a hot microclimate. You know what that is, Romy? Arizona. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Gravel, block walls, anything with a lot of concrete. If you have a gravel backyard with block walls all the way around it and uh, concrete stepping stones and sidewalks, that is a hot microclimate. Okay. 
if you're going, if that's all you have, we're going to fix that for you, but don't just plant in gravel and walk away. Your tree and plants will die. I promise. So that's the first thing you want to avoid. And it's funny, all those little microclimate things you're talking about have to do with concrete and masonry, or not all of it, but a lot of it. And that is our preferred building technique. So it's yep. making these two work together. Because, you know, even though that, that surface might be a little bit hotter, you want to talk about, you know, a lifetime building material. You know, what's still left when you see the historic remains of the civilizations before us. It's everything that was yeah. built in stone, mud, adobe, brick, concrete. I mean, these are lifetime building products. So we got to yeah. marry those with our edible fruit trees. Exactly. And all, all your trees, remember, you, you know, even if you're putting cactuses, there was this, uh, there was this landscape that was done near the uh, urban farm here a couple of years ago. And they went in, it was a Western face. So it got sun from noon until sundown. They put in gravel and they put in two dozen cactus in this cactus garden. And when I first walked past it, I just shook my head because <laughs> I knew within six months they would be dead. And they were. Ugh. So even planting cactus in straight gravel is is problematic. I have solutions. So if that's all you got, we can fix it. Uh, the other thing you want to be careful of is planting in grass. Bermuda grass can and will outcompete your trees. There's not much. I, I don't, can anything outcompete Bermuda grass? I don't think. Uh, I haven't seen just, any. <laughs> yeah, we just have to outsmart it. And both of these situations with the, the gravel, the dirt, you know, the hot microclimate and the grass – I have something called my 6-6 six, six rule, six-foot diameter basin with six inches of woody mulch. Basically, what you're going to do is you're going to knock back the gravel or the grass six feet. So if you're digging a, a basin for your trees and grass, you just dig a disc, six-foot diameter, six inches deep, get rid of the grass that's on top, plant your trees, how I'm going to talk about planting them in a little while, put woody mulch up to ground level, and over the next couple of years, your tree's going to get established and the woody mulch is going to hold back, outsmart the grass long enough for the tree to get established. And once the tree's that, established, um, and can you let that Bermuda come back in or will the tree oh, yes. established oh, keep the Bermuda out? No, you can absolutely let the – in fact, over the course of a couple of years – the grass will grow back into that space, which is fine. We just need to get the tree established first. Okay. And then the third thing you want to be uh, aware of and avoid is drip irrigation on trees. Usually what they do in a landscape is they put one drip emitter, you know, an hour gallon per hour, right next to the trunk of the tree. That's how the tree or plant gets watered. And that's a recipe for failure. It's not giving the tree enough water. We're going to talk a little while, in a little while how much and how often to water, and that doesn't do it. So if you have drip irrigation, we have a product on our website called a drip ring, which has 20 half-gallon-per-hour drip emitters in it, and you just put the ring around the tree and hook it to your drip system, and that will get your tree enough water. So you just got to be really careful about those three pieces planting in a really hot space, planting with gravel, and how you're watering. And it's funny, most everything I see planted anymore is on some type of drip system. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it just, it is 
becoming the industry standard for a lot of reasons when they're trying to uh, be more inter- uh, a water useful efficient. efficiency. Yep. There you go, water efficient system. It just it's it's not one that's hands off though. You know that little one emitter that they put when they planted it might have been good enough for it as a five gallon, but it'll quickly outgrow that size. It's just very rare that somebody goes back and moves out it. of. And those 20 emitters are important because a tree, you know, looking at it from the top, it's got a big footprint and it's got yep. roots around 360 and it's got to get water to all those zones. It can't just get water on one side and be a, a healthy tree. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then the next thing you want to start paying attention to is uh, – when you're buying a plant or a tree, and now we're talking specifically fruit trees here, and these are three things that you need to pay attention to in order to successfully choose trees that will actually make fruit. These are really, really important for the low desert. And now we're talking—we're not talking citrus on this, although the rootstock. Consideration is about citrus, uh, but there's three things you need to pay attention to. If you're not buying trees from our program, our, in our program we do education, and then you can buy fruit trees from us, and they're all the right trees to to plant in the low desert. But if you're not getting them from us, you need to pay attention to chill hours. We get about 250 hours of chill. I'm sorry, we get about 350 hours of chill uh, in the Phoenix metropolitan area. And if you plant a fruit tree that requires 500 or 600 or 700 hours of chill, it will never make fruit. Chill is anything under about 39 degrees, and it happens when the tree goes dormant from November to about February. So if you're buying trees, you need to make sure they're low chill. And you want consecutive hours below 39, you know, to go and get one hour over one night, from what I've understood, is not nearly as good as having two or three consecutive hours, if not four or five. And we're we're definitely getting that this year. Yes. Definitely getting that this year. So that's the first thing you need to pay attention to when you're buying a fruit tree. The second thing you need to pay attention to is the rootstock. You need to make sure that you get the tree on the correct rootstock. Now, we've done that work for you. Uh, You'll have to do some research if you're standing there looking at a tree. Make sure it's a tree rootstock that will work in the low desert. And the third thing, probably one of the most important things of this uh, three things, we're going to talk about after the break. Okay, sounds good. I was... Just had the opportunity to talk about rootstock with my boy. I was out cutting a few uh, rootstock shoots out of an uh, orange tree, and he wanted to know why I was cutting those out, and we had the whole conversation. And he seems pretty interested about the whole grafting thing and, you know, the, a root plant and a mm-hmm. uh, stem plant and grafting those together. It was uh, – there's a lot of fun conversations you can have with uh, – with your Around kids food. Out. Yes. <laughs> Around food, baby. We had a party here last weekend, and guess where everybody assembled? Around the kitchen <laughs> table. <laughs> That's right. All, right. All right, Farmer Greg, we'll come back with uh, number three on your list here right after this. 
in the Urban Farm Hour here at Rosie on the House. Farmer Greg was just going over three points that uh, he's put together over time and experience and trial and error. And we had covered one and two, and we were, you've left us all on the edge of our seat waiting for number three. <laughs> so number one is chill hours. We get 350 hours in the Phoenix metropolitan area. Number two is make sure that your fruit trees are on a rootstock that will thrive in the desert. And number three, number three is something that I discovered having grown fruit trees in Phoenix for over 40 years. And that is you want to make sure that the fruit is ripe and off of your tree or plant by about July 1st or 3rd or 4th. By otherwise, what happens is, is that fruit can cook on the tree. And I've tried growing <laughs> August peaches and um, other things that ripen later, and it's just futile. You know, there's some really nice low-chill apples that ripen in the fall, but... They can't hang on what, through the summer. What you get is maybe 5 or 10 or 15 pieces of fruit off of one of those trees, and they're okay fruit. They're not great. Whereas the apple trees that we suggest is the Anna and the Dorset Golden, you will get hundreds of pounds of apples off of your tree. And those ripen in June. So make sure that whatever fruit or uh, berry you're planting ripens and is off the plant by about July 1st. And the tags, the labels that come with the trees should be able to mm -hmm. tell you those things. Sometimes. But not all the time. I've noticed there's exactly. some inconsistency in how much information is or isn't on there, depending on what grower it's coming from. Exactly. And that's where you have to get smart. And that's where uh, our fruit tree program it is entering our 24th year next month, which is just mind-blowingly amazing <laughs> to me. And we've experimented. We have made all the mistakes. If you just want to get fruit trees that work, check out our program at fruittrees.org because it just they, it just works. And it's and all then, all stuff yeah. t tried and tested for the Arizona desert, and that's exactly. a big part of it working. Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem I'm having here in Asheville. I people are saying, "Are you going to do a fruit tree program in Asheville?" I said. I don't think so. I don't know how to grow fruit trees in Asheville. I know how to grow fruit trees in Phoenix. So I'm I'm on a new steep learning curve here. Let them have their boiled peanuts and they'll be <laughs> fine. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So next, how do we get this tree planted? First thing I want you to do is pre-dig your holes. We started at the top of the show talking about pre-getting everything ready. Pre-digging your holes is pretty important. So dig your holes two foot wide by two foot wide, so a square and a foot deep. Um, some of the bigger trees might need a bigger hole, but that's a good place to start. And then we call this our extreme planting. Now, when you say one foot deep, uh -huh. there, there are some cases I've seen, I think, especially when it comes to putting in a bare root tree where you might need to dig a little deeper than a foot. Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. You might need to go deeper. Um, one really important thing to do is dig your hole and stick a hose in the hole and fill it with water. 
and see how long it takes to percolate out. They call this a percolation or a perk test. So it's really important to make sure that your hole drains within about 24 hours. Janice, who works with me, did a perk test on her trees when she before she planted them, and 24 hours later, there was still water in the hole, like mostly full water in the hole. So it's really important to do a perk test. If you do a perk test, and this doesn't happen very often when it doesn't drain, but if you do a perk test and it doesn't drain, you have to go deeper. So that's the other reason you might have to go deeper. And the reason that's a bad thing is that would just keep your root ball saturated and it, exactly. it would, you know, disease and drown your tree. It would drown the tree. It's just overwatering the tree. So perk test. Perk test. So hold two foot by two foot by one foot to start with. Do a perk test. Next, I want you to save 40% of the native soil that came out of the hole. And then you're going to add 60% planting mix. And it's usually about three cubic feet of planting mix, uh, which is two bags. And not to get too technical here, but one of the reasons you may not be able to dig through is, or if you end up digging out white stuff, I mean, that's caliche. You wouldn't want to save that as part of your 40%. You can. You can. Once it's all broken up, you can save that. Exactly. Once it's broken up, you can save it. Great question. Um, here, I say every opportunity on, on this show, I go over this because this is the most important thing for growing food anywhere. Healthy soil is dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. So what we're doing is we're taking that dirt out of the hole, even if it's caliche, if it's broken up, you take it out of the hole, you put it in the wheelbarrow. That's got micronutrients in it that the tree is going to love. And then, so you mix the 60-40, and then I have a special mix of stuff that you add to that wheelbarrow before you actually put it in the ground. And we'll get we'll to that, those special uh, components. And I, this is where I had fun going over my show notes, and I've got a few, few questions here for you as we dive into these different uh, uh, materials that we add to our planting mix. So Trozy on the house with you every Saturday morning here at the fourth Saturday of the month. We've got Farmer Greg. This is Dennis Rusk of ABC Glass. Happy holidays from Rosie on the house. Thank you for sticking with us for just joining us. It's Rosie on the house for Saturday of the month. We have Farmer Greg joining us, helping all things urban farming. We've talked a lot, uh, you know, about successful fruit tree planting. But before we go any farther, uh, Farmer Greg, just recast the vision you had on uh, helping transition Phoenix and other Arizona towns into being a little bit more food sustainable. Edible, edible landscapes. You know, farms in Phoenix, especially, well, farms are really struggling right now with the water shortages and everything. And we have these landscapes tens of thousands of acres of landscapes in our front and backyard. And when I was living at the urban farm, my front and backyard was edible. And I used to open it up periodically for tours and the like. And my vision started out about 10 years ago with 10,000 urban farms in Phoenix. And an urban farm is in your front and backyard. Grow food. When I was uh, at school at Arizona State University in 19, uh, I started in 99, but in 2001, I was farming my front and backyard and I was taking 
the food that I was growing to the farmer's market every week. And I'd make a couple, 300 bucks for, you know, a half a day's worth of work, which is pretty good. And, um, and then I would, for, for all of you old timers out there, you remember Calico Cow over on 12th Street and Camelback area. I used to take anything I had left over over to her and she'd feed me. <laughs> Good. So growing, using our front and backyards is, it's really the whole point of my podcast, the Urban Farm Podcast, and the education that I do because we have a food system problem and we're seeing it right now. And the, Have you seen the price of eggs lately? Oh my gosh. I know they're starting to compete with me. (laughs) Right. That's a food system issue. And, you know, tomatoes and lettuce and beef and chicken, these are all things that are starting to um, have a problem. We're starting to have a problem with them in our system. And really the solution is growing food in our front front and backyards. And that's really, that's my vision is... Everybody should be growing something in their front or backyard. And it is, in my opinion, that trees are the place you should start. There's <laughs> a lot you can do in gardening. There's a lot of great uh, varieties, and we've got a great gardening season. But trees, once you get established, a lot of times they take a couple years to get going. But yep. you know, it, unlike a garden where you have to plant every single year, once you yep. have a, a, one of these trees up and established – they don't require near the maintenance, but you get – your yield is phenomenal. Exactly. And my favorite thing to plant and grow are fruit trees. Absolutely, hands down. You plant them once and you get fruit for decades. Uh, and uh, what I've discovered over the years of uh, – you know, I grew fruit trees in Phoenix for 55 years. Uh, I started almost as a preteen. And what I discovered was that the – Stone fruit and apples, they usually last about 25 years. That's a lot of fruit over 25 years. And then citrus, I actually had two citrus trees in the backyard at the urban farm that were over 100 years old, Uh and they were still making fruit. So, yeah, plant fruit trees, man. It's it's an ongoing food supply. And we were, as we were going to the bottom of the hour news, Farmer Greg was going over your tree hole preparation. You dig your tree hole, 60% planting mix mixed with 40% native soil, and then we were just getting ready to your, getting ready to cover your extra special ingredients on top of that, and uh, you know, just just pick it up from right there. And I've got a few few critical questions here. I want to ask as we as we go through these all right in the order on my on my uh, cheat sheet we're looking at two ounces of mycorrhiza sprinkled in the wheelbarrow and worked in mycorrhiza is soil organisms and what mycorrhiza does is they attach to the tree roots and they help them harvest minerals and water better so two ounces of mycorrhiza two pounds of azomite azomite is a rock dust mineral supplement and you just mix it in the wheelbarrow it's kind of like npk that's nitrogen potassium and whatever the third one is i can't remember it off the top of my head that's in what's in most fertilizers those are the numbers that you see it might say 336 on the label or something like that and uh, those are macronutrients 
those help the tree grow. The micronutrients, there's about 70 of them in azomite, and those are a vitamin pill for your trees. So two pounds in every tree hole will have your tree thrive. Two pounds of worm castings. Worm castings are essentially worm poop, and it's got life in it as well. And in gardening, we call worm castings gardener's gold. And that was one of my first questions here. How many castings does it take to get two pounds of worm? <laughs> you mean how, how many worms does it take? Yeah. Or yeah either way, that's that's 32 ounces. How long does it take to generate 32 ounces of worm casting? <laughs> well, the good news is our friends, and we had uh, we had Zach from Arizona Worm Farm on the show, I think, in July. And uh, so you can go back and listen to that one. That was a really good Yes, it uh, show is. that we did that we did that day. Uh, Arizona Worm Farm are masters at making worm castings, so they supply all of our worm castings for us. Now, I have the first thing I did when I moved here to uh, Asheville was I bought a worm bin. This is a flow through worm bin. It's a really cool one, and. Uh, I activated it within a week of us arriving here, uh, so in April, and I harvested my first harvest about a month ago, so six months later, and I got a five-gallon bucket full, which is about, I'm going to guess there's about 12 pounds in it. So it took me six, six months to get 12 pounds, so to answer your question, six months to get 12 pounds. <laughs> That's worth the trip down to the Arizona Worm Farm. Bring exactly. bring a shovel, <laughs> right? And and we do with our fruit tree program. We do get their worm castings. We bag them and have them available. In fact, all of what I'm talking about the mycorrhiza, the azomite, and the worm castings we actually put together in a bundle and have available for uh, people to buy trees and plants from us, so they can buy a single tree kit or a multi tree kit. Uh, multi-tree kit comes with six pounds, six pounds, and six ounces. So we've already pre-packaged that. And then the fourth thing that I really want you to add to your uh, your hole is organic fertilizer. I want you to add two pounds of organic fertilizer. So that was the question number two. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between organic fertilizer and worm poop? Is that not the same thing? Um. Organic fertilizer is the NPK. It's, it's a large dose of those macronutrients. Worm castings have uh, a little bit of nutrients in them, probably a lot of nutrients in them, a lot of micronutrients in them, and they have soil life. Remember? Mantra. Healthy soil is dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. So when we're adding worm castings and mycorrhiza, that's adding life to the soya and having the tree thrive better. And I've proven that the, the, what we're talking about is something that I've developed over the past 20 plus years. And I have experimented over and over and over again. And this is, this is the best of the best that I've found. And these <clears throat> six pounds of material, the mm-hmm. two pounds of, Azomite, two pounds of worm casting, two pounds of organic fertilizer. 
that that'll make up about forty percent of uh, when you're talking about your sixty forty planting mix. That mm-hmm. you know that'll add the extra content volume to content to fill in your hole. Exactly, exactly. And the good news is is that the uh, it's not expensive. We're not talking about spending a lot of money here. The mycorrhiza, the azomite, and the worm castings is ten dollars for a tree. So if you're spending fifty or sixty or a hundred dollars on a tree, this is just a ten dollar additive to it that will have the tree thrive. That's pretty cheap. And it's only a one-time application. The mycorrhiza, azomite, and the worm castings are one-time. The organic fertilizer is, uh, you want to put that on there about four times a year. And Uh, we we will get to fertilizing. I know that's one of your bullet points down on the list that we haven't even gotten halfway through, but we're over halfway through (laughs) the broadcast, as always. Let's let's get on that then. Let's talk about uh, fertilizing and watering. Just real quickly, because these are really important. Uh, Fertilizing, you want to fertilize with a granular NPK organic fertilizer four times a year. I usually say Valentine's Day, Tax Day, Memorial Day, and Labor Day, just to remember. Those are about. And you want to use uh, one pound of fertilizer for each inch of trunk diameter. So if you have a one inch trunk diameter, use a pound of fertilizer every time. If you have two ounces, you use two pounds of fertilizer every time and so on. So that's the, uh, that's the uh, NPK fertilizer. Okay. And that is fruit trees, really any plants, (laughs) plants need to eat every day, just like any other organism. And if you're only putting fertilizer on your tree once a year, it ain't enough. The tree it might just, look fine, but your fruit production will never get there. Exactly. And the healthier the tree, the more nutrients, the more micronutrients, the more the healthier the soil is underneath, you're going to get better tasting fruit. I had this experience about five years ago. A friend of mine came to the house and I handed her some car, car navels out of the front yard, and she took them home and literally called me back 15 minutes later, and she said, what are these? I said, they're car, car navels, and she said, no, they're not. I said, what do you mean? She said, they don't taste like what I get in the store, and I say, exactly. I said to her, exactly, because what I do is I take really good care of the soil, and it makes more nutrient-dense, tastier uh, things to eat, so... There you go. So that's the macronutrient fertilizer. Let's talk about my 6-6 rule. My 6-6 rule is six inches of woody mulch, I mentioned earlier in the show, and a six-foot diameter basin. And this basin, with all this woody mulch in it, basically what happens is, is over time it breaks down and into really healthy soil. So at the interface between the dirt and the woody mulch, you're getting this soil building that is just amazing. And it's mind-blowing what it does. It really is. It acts as an insulator in the winter when it's cold. It acts as an insulator in the summer when it's hot. It, uh, As we talked about earlier, it keeps the Bermuda grass back until your tree can get established. Uh, and um, it just grows really great, healthy soil. So... Woody mulch, uh, even, you know, even on flood irrigation, I was on flood irrigation and I was using this technique. Some of it would float away, 
but it's still building healthy soil over time. Final segment with Farmer Greg here at Rosie on the House talking about success when planting fruit trees. The archive page for today will have a lot of expanded content with Zach from Arizona Worm Farm and also a link back to High Creations because... Foliar feeding is actually spraying nutrients right on the leaves of the plants and they take it in through the leaves. It's the fastest way to give you, get your trees uh, nutrition. And uh, we actually regularly give classes on that at our fruit tree program, fruittrees.org. High Creations was organized by two college grads right out of Arizona, right out of U of A. So between local foliar feeding, local worm, worm poops, <laughs> local organic yeah. fertilizer like the farm's choice. And our planting mix is Farmer Greg's planting mix from tanks in Tucson. It's really important that you get local compost, local worm castings, local soil, because it's got local microbes. If it's being shipped from Minnesota, those are Minnesota mi- microbes. It's not Phoenix microbes. So buy local soils. A couple things that are really important that we need to talk about. Overwatering will kill your tree. In fact, I get more people that kill trees from overwatering than underwatering. And I, this next methodology, and I talk extensively about it in our program, but this next methodology, I didn't develop. I watched the fruit trees when I was a kid at the Weldon House, 28th Street and Indian School, and they thrived. Deep water, once a month in the winter, twice a month in the summer. What? That's not <laughs> nearly enough. If you're doing what I'm telling you to do, your basin, your soil building, your nutrients, a deep water once a month in the winter, fill that basin up and let it sink in for a couple of hours, and twice a month in the summer is plenty of water for your trees. It's also going to save on your water bill. And shade, growing a ground cover around the base of your trees. You can grow sweet potatoes. You get organic sweet potatoes right at the grocery store, stick them in the ground. You're Then you're growing fruit trees and sweet potatoes in your basins. Uh, also, with the fruit tree program, we... Uh, give away cowpeas. It's a Rio Red cowpea that I've developed over the past 20 years in Phoenix. And it's a, it's a bean that grows wild and you grow it in the basin. And what the, that does, the shade of the plants, the cowpeas or the sweet potatoes, will drop the soil, the soil temperature 50 degrees in the summertime. That is the difference between your tree making it and your tree not making it. So grow a ground cover. In fact, if you're into gardening, really, you shouldn't ever leave your soil bare. And I like the concept of doing the sweet potatoes because that's just one more edible you now have in your landscape. And the sweet potato vines are, I I think, pretty, uh, but also grow very well in the desert and oh, can yeah. create a huge uh, soil canopy. Big time, big time. Jolene Cootie uh, is one of the people that uh, buys trees from us and such, and she posts regularly on uh, Facebook. And I just saw a post from her. She just got done. Now's the time of year that we harvest our sweet potatoes. And she harvested hundreds of pounds of sweet potatoes <laughs> out of her backyard. It was amazing, and she's got a large family, so 
And there's a lot of and, great things you can do with sweet potatoes. Yes, there is. <clears throat> all right, Farmer Greg, so how do we get started with all this? I know you had mentioned this is your 24th year in the fruit tree program. Yes. What, how do I get involved in that? Well, easy, fruittrees.org. You can go right to our website. And there are classes, there's content, there's all kinds of, of data there. In a nutshell, we offer year-round classes. We do a monthly tree chat that's free. It's on Zoom. We do, uh, in the fall, we do a fruit tree program launch event, which is about three hours on the second Saturday of the month of September usually. And then from in September, October, and early November, we offer five different training classes. Again, all free, on Zoom, online, and you can just come and learn. And then you can purchase fruit trees from us. And we do citrus uh, in September. So you can purchase citrus from us in September. And we're open about six days in September for people to come up and come and pick up their, their citrus trees. So you're pre-ordering citrus in September for pickup in September. And then you pre-order deciduous trees. That's your apples, peaches, apricots, plums, figs, olives, grapes, mulberries, all those, all those great plants. Those are deciduous. You pre-order them now. We still have some left. And then you come and pick them up. We'll be open the second half of January. And I will be on the lot and we in look, January. look forward to having you here in January, Farmer Greg. We thank yep. you for spending your Saturday morning with us. You can go to rosieonthehouse.com and in the homeowner resources on the podcast section, you can find today's complete program. Uh, you can download it there by segment or uh, a complete uh, one hour, just depending on how you prefer to listen to it. If you're looking for something specific, the segment breakdown with talking points is a great way for quick reference. Just to hear the whole thing start to finish, the podcast is a, is a great application. And not only is it there on Podbean, but uh, they now put it on Spotify, um, iHeart, um, Alexa, TuneIn. So it's yep. in anywhere you get your podcast now, you can find it. Nice. Congratulations for doing that, man. Hey, Farmer Greg, Merry Christmas. Thank you. Right back at you, man. Have a good one.